guests with us today. We would like to welcome all of our guests this morning. Amen. Amen. If you're a guest worshiping with us this morning, we're so glad you've taken time to come and worship with us this morning today. Amen. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I am going to take you to a passage of scripture. It's actually two back-to-back stories in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was the first of the Gospels written, even though it's not the first in your Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in a chronological order, Mark would be the first Gospel that, had, that was penned. And Mark's Gospel is a very fast-paced Gospel. He doesn't have a lot of filler. He doesn't have a lot of fluffs and stuff. Mark is... He's very rapid in his delivery, and he sort of just hits point after point after point. And in Mark chapter 7, there are two extremely inspirational, faith-building stories that are back-to-back. And I want to go to the first one and, and read to you the first one this morning, and then we'll get to the second one here in a moment. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from thence he arose, this is speaking of Jesus, and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Jesus spent most of his ministry in the area of the Sea of Galilee. Tyre and Sidon were north of that, on the coast of the Mediterranean. It was a mostly Gentile area. And I imagine Jesus wanting to get a break went away into this area to get a break. But the Bible says in verse 25, For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. But the woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take from the children's bread and to cast it into the dogs. And and she answered and said to them, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And she came into her house, he found the devil gone out, And her daughter laid upon the bed. There are several things today that are very important for us to realize in that passage of scripture that relate to you and I today. There is nothing, nothing that can keep you from getting to Jesus. It does not matter today who you are. It does not matter today where you came from. It doesn't matter today how you're dressed. It doesn't matter today how much money you have. It doesn't matter today what's your educational background. And can I say this today? It does not matter the color of your skin today. 
Nothing can keep you getting to Jesus. If your faith is great enough, if you're desperate enough today for God to do something in your life, the person on your right, the person on your left, the person in front of you or the person behind you, there is nobody today that can stop you from getting what you want from God. There is no devil big enough. No devil big enough to stop you from getting what you want from God today. The only thing that can stop you is you. The only thing in this room today that stands between you and getting something from God that could change your life is you. Because the Bible says this woman came to Jesus and begin to speak to Jesus and ask him for help. And Jesus looked at her and called her a dog. Jesus loving, Jesus accepting. He called her a dog. But she was so desperate. She was so desperate for God to do something in her life. Her response back to Jesus was, Even the dogs get the crumbs. You know what today? I may not have the opportunity to sit at the table, but just a crumb. Just a crumb from Jesus is all I need. I don't need some big spread. I don't need this great revelation. I don't need all this stuff. I just need something from heaven to fall in me today, and I need it from him. I've had the privilege, very blessed of the Lord, to travel overseas and travel in continents of Africa, traveled in Asia, traveled in Europe, ministering the word. And I've noticed that one thing that takes place, especially in areas that are poorer, not, not as much in the affluent areas, but in the, in the areas that, that are more economically oppressed and, and have more of a third world mentality and third world feel to them. It's not that people there somehow have an inside track with God. Nothing to do with that. I've had people say, why is there great miracles there and no great miracles here? It's nothing because they, they have an inside track with God or somehow God has favorites. It's nothing to do with that. But you know what? I'll never forget years ago. I was young, but I still remember the memory. When my father, I went with my father. I was, I was still young at the time, and so I wasn't ministering. And, but I went with my father, and I remember that we were in the country of Malawi in Africa. And uh, for years, in fact, my, he still has it. Uh, he, he, he still has it. He brought it home with him. Uh, but for years, it was in his office at the church. Uh, there was a man that came to the service. His foot was completely disfigured. He, he could not walk correctly. He, he, he was an older man at the time. I imagine probably, I don't know, like as a child trying to figure all this out, you know, when you're a child, 30s old. But he had to be 50, 60 years old. And he, was, he came and he could, he could walk very well because he had this foot. And he had taken this metal rebar uh, looked like it had come from a scrap pile and it was this metal rebar looking thing and he had 
bent it at the top. I don't know how in the world someone had the strength to bend this thing. But he had bent it at the top to create sort of this cane. And, and he came and he hobbled into the service. And the power of God began to fall. And God began to move in that place. And as the Spirit of God fell, God healed. We prayed for him and God healed his leg. And in fact, he gave my father that metal cane. And my father had it. He still has it today. It was in his office for years on display. It was there as sort of a memory, of a, a memorial to the power of God. And, and some people said, why does it happen over there? Do you know why I think? Because in America, we have options. Very few people in this room today are truly desperate. Very few of you here today are really at the end of your rope because we have options. Let's be honest. If you're sick in your body, you can come in here and say, God, I need you to heal me, but i got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. God, I need you to fix this, oh, but i got some medication. It'll help me out. We've got options. We've got everything available. But when you have no other place to turn, and you truly are at the end. Why do you think most of us don't get our answer until we absolutely get to the place where everything has fallen completely apart? Because until we get there, we've got options. And the problem with options is we reach for God with one hand while we're still holding on to the tethered pole of what we can control. And we're like, okay, God, we'll, come on, God, help us. Come here, God, help me for a second. You stay here, God, and you're going to be here, right? You're going to stand right about here. You, you face me, and you stay there, and I'm going to be here. And don't move. And here's how it is today. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. And you're like, well, God, come closer. Come on, God. Help me out. God, help me out. Come on. And then we're like, I didn't get anything. Why would God do that? Because God requires you to let go of your options. To get what you need from God today, you're going to have to let go of stuff you can control and what you want. And you're going to have to totally get into this area where you reach for Him with everything you've got. If you don't do that and you hold on to whatever you're holding on to, you will come up just a little short. You'll be in his presence. You'll feel him there. You'll know he's right there, but you won't be able to reach out and touch him and have him change you. It'd be God, you know what? If you touch me today, that'd be awesome. But if not, I'll just keep going on. No, this woman was so desperate, she wouldn't take no for an answer. Even when Jesus looked at her and insulted her. If I stood here today and you came in and I said, okay, you're just a dog. Get out of here. You're a dog. I don't want you in this service. Get out of here, you dog. All of us, I wouldn't say most of us, all of us would be out of here on Facebook, Google, whatever, don't go to that church because they are nasty. <laughs> she could have easily walked away and said, hey, all that stuff you heard about Jesus and healing is a lie because I went and I needed help. He called me a dog. But she was so desperate. She didn't say, she didn't even bother. She didn't even, 
No, no, no. You can call me that or want. That's fine. If I'm a dog, give me a crumb. Because I'm desperate. I'm desperate. You know what? Today, God can do great things. But he doesn't do great things for people that have options. Because people with options, they don't, they, they don't go with, to God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They try God and see if it'll work, but if not, i got a fallback plan. You know what? Let me help you out. You, there is no fallback plan. Because if your plan already worked, you wouldn't be here. So the fact you're here today proves your plan doesn't work. So why even have a fallback plan? Because your fallback plan is going to require a fallback plan, which will then require another fallback plan, and eventually you'll find yourself back here with no more fallback plans. If the government could fix our problems, they would already been fixed. If man could figure it out, they would already been figured out. If somehow we could find a magic solution, they would already be figured out, but there is none. And then right after Mark gives this story, he gives another story. Mark chapter 7, verse 31, he tells us another. And again... Departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he comes back to the Sea of Galilee. He goes away and comes back to the Sea of Galilee. And they bring unto him one that is deaf and impotent in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. I want you just for a second, if you would, allow me, and let's go on a journey for just about the next three minutes. I want you to put yourself into this boy's shoes. He could not speak. He could not hear. But yet the Bible says nothing about the fact that his mind was normal. His mind was perfectly normal. But yet because of his hearing and his speech, he could not communicate. Can you imagine the frustration that must have been inside when people assume things about you? And yet you have no way to really tell them what's going on in your head. And so they assume about you and they write you off and they say, he'll never be anything, he'll never do anything. But in his mind, he's saying, I've got dreams, I've got visions, I've got hopes, I've got goals just like everybody else. But because he couldn't speak... And you imagine if he's going through something and they ask, what's going on with him? He can't communicate. Have you ever had somebody ask, what's up with you? Why are you like you are? And you honestly are not trying to avoid the question. You just don't know. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Come on, tell me, really, what's wrong with you? Honestly, I don't know. Because you know there's something going on in you. There's stuff in you that you're struggling with. There's all kinds of stuff that you're battling with. But you can't put it into words what's really happening. 
And you know how frustrating that feels sometimes when you feel like everything in your world's in chaos, but you don't know what to ask for. You don't know what to say. You don't know the solution. You don't know what to ask. You don't know what to tell somebody. You just know, I don't know. I'm just miserable. Been there. You just... You know there's something. And then what does it make you do? Literally, I don't know about you. It just makes me want to go, ah. I can't imagine this boy being like this. Frustrated. Upset. Living. I remember this. There was a, there was, she just recently died. She was a precious, precious girl. There was a, there was a, 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 a local pastor years ago. And she, in fact, she was born the same year I was born. And, and this little girl was born, she was healthy, and then just a little time after she was born, she came down with a fever, and the fever ended up leading to her uh, being uh, handicapped. And, and for years, years, we would, I would, we would be around, and my family were friends with them, and so we would be around, and, and this girl, literally, she would spin, she would just rock back and forth, and she would just get so frustrated, and she would just, you could just see her frustration. Well, as she got older, they found a special school, and this school had this special computer, and this computer was able to bypass her handicap and allow her to communicate what was going on in her brain. And they found out that everything in her brain was working fine. And literally, she was a prisoner in her own body. And she would sit there. Dan knows her. She'd sit there before she died, and she would just rock back. And you could just see sometimes she would just get so... It was almost like she was just so frustrated she didn't know what to do with herself. And come to find out that there was stuff going on in her head that she knew all around her, but she had no way to communicate. And so everybody thought, she's just handicapped. There's nothing happening in that brain. But she had all the things going on she wanted to express. I forgot some of the stuff she wrote when she finally was able to communicate. Stuff she said to her mother was amazing stuff. But all of that was already there, but she had no way to get it. And because of that, she was frustrated. Sometimes you get so to the point you don't even know how to communicate. You don't even know what to say. You feel powerless to even communicate where you are, but you know you need something. Years ago, I read these stories. Some of you have heard me tell them before. I read these stories that, that, of, of some heroin addicts that were, that were delivered by the Lord in New York City, and, and they all had different stories and, and the first one that I read I'll never forget these stories have stuck with me I read them years ago and I never forgot them there was this the first guy tells the story that um he was on heroin he couldn't kick it he was just it was just it was just it was absolutely driving him mad he tried everything he could in and out of rehab nothing worked and finally he said I got to the point he said I went to my apartment one time and he said I knew there was a God. I, I could, I've always, I always had a belief in God. I knew he was there, but I didn't know how to communicate with him. And he said, I laid back on my bed, and I didn't know how to express myself. And so I did the only thing I could think of to do. He said, I took that needle, shoved it in my arm, pulled out the syringe and filled it up with blood. He said, I laid back on my bed, looked up at my ceiling, and I began to spray 
through that syringe onto the ceiling. H-E-L-P. He said, I didn't know how to communicate. That was my only way to communicate. He said, I just was trying to cry out the only way I knew how. And he put H-E-L-P. Sometimes some of us today, we know there's stuff going on in our life, but we don't know how to communicate it. We don't know how to say it. We don't know what to ask. We don't know what to say. If I said to you today, give me one thing that will fix everything, you might give it a crack, but let's be honest, is that really going to fix it? Because eventually it's like that game of whack-a-mole that you see in the arcades years ago. It has the big, the big, big mallet and the little moles that pop up. And you hit this little guy, but this guy pops up. And you hit this guy, but this guy pops up. And eventually the game is going to lead to all of them popping up simultaneously and you can't knock them all down. That's what some of you look like today. Oh, I got it, preacher. Whack out. Whack out. Whack out. But then some of you in here today... You can't even knock it all down. It's done taking over your life. You need two mallets and one attached to your foot, and that still wouldn't work because that's what your life has become. There was one guy, he, he says, this one guy, he had, he had moved, I believe he was from Maine. I think I remember the story correctly. He was from Maine. And um, he decided to go to the big city, New York. He, he grew up in rural Maine. He was going to go to the big city in New York because that's where all the jobs were. He's going to make a lot of money, yada, yada, yada. So he gets there. He gets hooked up in the drug scene. This was back in the, in the, in the, in the 70s uh, in, in New York where I guess everything went. And so he got hooked up in the drug scene. And uh, um, he, uh, he got so at wit's end with his... Life and he's in and out of rehab, couldn't figure it out, couldn't get it done. And so he decided, I know the solution. I know how I'm going to kick this habit. I'm going to handcuff myself and not let myself go. And when those urges come, because I'm handcuffed, I won't be able to get the drugs I need, and eventually my body will eliminate the habit. So, he somehow, I don't know where, he never said in the story where he got it. Somewhere he, he secured a set of handcuffs. He goes to the place where he was staying, and he walks over to the radiator that was on the wall. And I guess that was the only thing he had that was strong enough to hold it. And so he takes... The one side of the handcuffs and locks it to the radiator pipes. The other side, he attaches to his wrist. He takes the key and he throws it to the other side of the room that he can't get to it. He sits down on the floor and he begins to wait. And he waits. And after a few hours, all of a sudden, the urges started to come. Little by little, they started to come until finally they began to take over his whole body as his whole body was craving for another fix. And he began to reach down and pull with everything he had on that radiator trying to get to those keys so he could get out of there and go get something. And he's pulling 
And he began to pull until literally he began to rub his wrist raw. And it began to cause such severe pain cutting into his wrist that literally the blood began to soak his hand. It began to run down his arm. And the pain got to the point where it was so excruciating combined with the amount of urging, urges he had in him that literally he passed out. He doesn't know how long he was passed out. But when he came to, his arm was dried with blood, but he was still attached to that radiator. But when he woke up, the urges were twice as strong. And so not knowing what to do and becoming so desperate, he said with one last, one last pull, he did everything he could. He pulled and yanked the radiator off of the wall. He was so desperate, he didn't even stop to take the handcuffs off. He put the radiator on his back, ran down the steps, ran three blocks to find the dealer to get what he needed. You say, well, I'm not that extreme. No, but you've tried to chain yourself to things because that was going to fix where you are. Chain yourself to success. Chain yourself to jobs. Chain yourself to this. Chain yourself to a new husband, a new wife, a new car, a new home. All of that. And when you get into those things, you realize you're still where you are. And this young man comes to Jesus. And Jesus does several unique things to this young man are pointed out by Mark. The first thing he does is this. Verse 33. Put verse 33 up there. 733. 733. Look what Jesus did. We don't find this anywhere else that I know of where Jesus did exactly this. Right there. And he took him aside from the multitude. Most of the time, Jesus dealt with people in the crowd. But this young man, Jesus, took him by the hand and grabbed him and took him away over to the side, just him and Jesus. Why is that important for you and me today? i tell you why that's important. Because experiencing God in a crowd is one thing, but God desires that every one of you experience Him on a personal basis. It's one thing to be here today and feel God because you're in the presence of people that are worshiping, but that's not good enough. You need to have a one-on-one experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus took him aside and got one-on-one with him and got down and noticed that, you know what I often tell people? Pretend the room is empty. We often say to people, close your eyes. Why do we close our eyes? could be spooky and mystical. No, because you know what? When I close my eyes, I'm forced to only think of the one who can help me. And I can close my eyes. And you know what? When I close my eyes, you're not here anymore. The room is empty. The only thing that's here that I matter the most to me is Jesus. He took him aside. Put his fingers in his ear. And then I love this part. I just got to have some fun with this. Every time I read this, it just still cracks me up. Jesus spit. And then touched 
his tongue. Not Jesus touched his own tongue. Jesus touched the boy's tongue. Let me tell you this right now. Let's just lay this out here for you and me. You can hug me. You can high five me. You can punch me. But I'm telling you right now, if you tried to touch my tongue after you had just juiced up your fingers, I guarantee you, you will only be counting to eight when you're done. Because you'll be missing some digits. And I got to be honest with you. Can you imagine that, right? You're like, you're like, you're right, you're ready. Just as Jesus, I mean, he's healing everybody. You're ready. Oh, here it comes. Boy, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to. And you go, he goes. By the way, let me touch that real quick. What? And the Bible says he touched his tongue. We'll go right back to that in a minute. Go to the next verse because that's important. And he looking up to heaven. Now, this is the most important part of this whole entire story, and I'll show you why. Here's what's important. He looking up to heaven. He sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is be opened. Why is that important today, preacher? Why are you telling me that's the most important? The Bible says, Jesus, in looking up to heaven, he sighed. Now, when we hear the word sigh, this is what we think of. Jesus looked up to heaven and went, oh, as if he was saying, another person I've got to heal, another person who's messed up that needs my help. Don't they know I want the day off? No. When that word sigh there literally means that Jesus groaned with grief. He groaned with grief. Exactly what Jesus did. He took that boy aside. He looked at that boy. He touched his tongue. And I believe what happened when Jesus touched his tongue, just like that computer that got hooked up to that girl, Jesus touched his tongue. And when he touched his tongue, immediately everything that was in that boy's mind got flooded into Jesus' heart. And when he saw all of that boy was carrying. He literally got so overwhelmed that he groaned with grief and went, Ah! Because Jesus, the Bible says, he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And when Jesus touched that boy's tongue and realized everything that was going on inside that poor, poor boy's mind, he literally could not contain himself. And the Bible says he cried out and groaned in grief. And he said to that boy, Epitha, which means be opened, meaning, meaning he said to that boy, I loose you from your prison. Amen. Literally. That's what he was saying. He was saying, I loose you, set you free. That word there, Ephatha, be opened, literally means to set free. Meaning Jesus looked at him and said, I set you free from your prison and you will no longer be bound by the emotions and the things and all the stuff that keeps you. I will set you free. But go back to what Jesus did right before that. I love this. It said this. And Jesus took him aside, put his fingers in his ear, spit, and touched his tongue. Oh, that's so crazy, right? But you know what? You know what that word touched means? Ah, I love it. You know what that word touched his tongue means? Guess what? You ready? 
Literally, that word touched means to set on fire. Jesus reached down in that boy and touched his tongue. That's not a bold coincidence. Jesus never does anything by accident because I'm going to tell you why he did that. He touched his tongue and when he touched his tongue, his tongue was set on fire and when his tongue was set on fire, he was loosed out of this prison and go to verse 35. Watch what happens in verse 35 and straightway his ears are open and the string of his tongue was loose and he spake plainly. watch what happens the Bible says we have an infirmity we have a difficulty we don't even know what to pray for but Jesus touches our tongue by his spirit because the Bible says when the spirit came it came with the Holy Ghost and with fire and when the Spirit came with the Holy Ghost and with fire, where did it touch them? It did not touch them in their hands. It did not touch them in their feet. It did not touch them in their knees or their elbows. When the Spirit came and filled them with fire, it touched them with their tongue. And when it touched them with their tongue, they began to speak... And when they begin to speak, everything that was inside of them, everything that was trapped up, everything they could not explain and could not get out into words, begin to flow. Because they begin to speak directly to Him. And we're set free. Can I tell you something today, folks? God wants to touch somebody. God wants to set somebody free. God wants to give you today the ability to walk out of your prison because can I tell you this and not be over dramatic not trying to make an over dramatic point theatrically sounding it's not the point of it all at all but can I tell you this today God sees every emotion that is going on in your mind he sees every strand of frustration he sees every strand of fear. He sees every strand of worry. Every strand of doubt. Every strand where life is beginning to squeeze you. He's heard every person who's accused you. Every person that has abused you. Every person that has written you off. He has seen all that. He has heard all that. And he sees all of that going on inside. And you know what? Some of you today, you don't know the answer. You don't know where the string, what string to pull to unravel your life that has become so knotted up but can I tell you today that Jesus Christ is in this place and if you would let him touch you and you would let him minister to you and you would let him reach down and touch your heart and your mind that he will open he will open the doors of your prison I said it before and I said it again and go back to the Syrophoenician woman. There is nothing and no one in this room today, no devil, no angel, no human being, no problem, no situation that can stop you from getting what you want from God today. The only thing that can stop you today is you. 
If you leave out of here today and you're not changed, there's no other person to look at except the person that will stare back you in the mirror. You can't point up here at the preacher because I can't do anything for you. I'm a man. I can't save you. I can't heal you. I can't help you. I can't do anything. The only thing I can do is point you. The only thing I can do is say, there is one, but I'm not him. Look at these hands today, ladies and gentlemen. There are no nail prints here. Look at this forehead. There are no crown of thorns. I could take over my shirt. There would be no, there would be no, no, no side wound from where I was stabbed. I could take my shoes and socks off. There would be no nail prints on my feet. Why? Because I'm not your savior. This church is not a savior, but we're here today because Jesus is the savior. But the question today is, are you willing to give God an opportunity? Are you willing to give God a chance in your life? Are you willing to give God an opportunity to touch you today? Are you going to let your circumstances, are you going to let the person maybe sitting beside you, are you going to let the person maybe at home, a husband, a wife, who you know is that, you're, that, that there's, there's tension in the home, are you going to let that keep you from getting what you need from God today? Are you going to let the fear or the doubt, the unbelief, the struggle, the stress, the strain, the trial, the test, the temptations that are battling in your life, are you going to let that keep you from getting to God? Or is there something in your heart today like that lady who talked to Jesus and said, listen, you can say what you want, call me what you want, and I don't care because I'm so desperate for a change in my life, then just give me a crumb. Are you going to walk out of here today the same way you came? Frustrated. Life frustrated. I'm not here today promising you a utopic world. I'm not here today promising you that all of a sudden all of your problems will go away magically and the clouds will always be away and the sun will always shine and the birds will always chirp and sing. I'm not promising you that all because we still live in this crazy thing called life. But what I am promising you today is, is that you don't have to leave the way you are right now. I cannot promise you tomorrow, but I can say unequivocally that God can do something great for you today and change you. And I'm not just talking to guests here today. I'm talking about some of you that come here every week, but you have been inundated by circumstances and, and all kinds of stuff, and you're getting to the point where you're getting to the end, and I'm asking you, how desperate are you today? How desperate are you today to see God do something in your life? Is it simply, let's go up to the big wheel today, let's take out our chip, throw it on the table and spin the wheel and hope somehow today our number comes up. But if not, we'll try again next week. Or are you here to say, you know what? I'm not here to gamble with my future. I'm not here to, to roll the dice. I'm desperate and I will stay here and I will seek you and I will look for you and I will, I will search for you until I get the answer I need. Or is it just going to be, well, I'll give you a chance, Lord. Okay, God, you got 10 seconds. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, nine Mississippi, ten Mississippi. God, I'm sorry you didn't do it today. I'm sorry, I'm going. I'll just have to suffer. Or is it, you know what, God? I'm letting you know right now. I don't care if anyone prays for me. I don't care if everyone goes home. I don't care if they lock the doors. I'm not leaving here until you touch my heart. You say, Preacher, that's pretty extreme. Well, you know what? As they say, 
desperate times call for desperate measures. How desperate are you? How desperate are you for your life to change? I want you to just take a moment right where you are, bow your heads, close your eyes. I can't answer this question for you. Only you can answer this question. But I'm asking you, how desperate are you today for God to do something in your life? How desperate are you? Scale of 1 to 10. 1 being the least, 10 being the greatest. What are you on the scale of desperation today? Because you know what? Your desperation will lead to your faith. And your faith will be the ultimate thing that touches God. The question today is how desperate are you? How desperate are you today to see God do something in your life? How desperate are you today to see God change your life? How tired are you of things being the same way they are and no hope of them ever changing? Or are you desperate enough to say, God, I don't care what you've got to do. I don't care how you're going to do it. All I'm telling you is, God, I cannot make it one more day like this. I don't know if I'm just talking to one person today. It may be one person but I feel like there's somebody here today. You're at the point where I don't know if you can make it another week and come back next Sunday and try it again. I don't know if you can make it two more weeks and just keep trying. I think you're getting to the point where if you don't get something soon, there may not be another chance, another opportunity. Not because God can't do it. It's because you're reaching to the point where your faith is at a crisis point. Today has got to be that day where you finally say, God, whatever you've got to do. How desperate are you? You know what? I can't make you do anything. I cannot make you do anything. And even God himself, the creator, cannot make you do anything. All I'm doing today is begging and pleading you with you with all fervency I have in my heart because I feel the tug of God in my heart reaching for somebody and I'm begging for someone today would you give God an opportunity and give God a chance would you let God help you would you stand with me today Desperate people don't care what others think. Desperate people don't care about anything. Desperate people just want the solution. If you're here today and you want a touch from God, I don't care if you're a guest today or you come here every week, but if you're here today and you need a touch from the Lord, we're just, just come stand down here. You're not going to pray yet. We're just going to come stand. But you need a touch from God. Come on, we just asked, how desperate are you? How desperate are you today? Come on, thank, yeah, that's it. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Come on, come on down. If you got a guest with you, tell them to come with you. Ask them to come with you. Don't let them come by themselves. Praise God. Amen. Desperate for you today, Jesus. say this really quickly a couple of things as people come thank you for coming too often too many times we come down and we we wait for someone to pray with us someone may pray with you or not they don't need to pray with you to you receive every person down here you just need to do one thing get all of your focus and your attention on Jesus 
Don't think about anybody else. Don't worry about if someone comes by you. This is you and Jesus. Don't get distracted. It's you and Jesus. You've come down here. You've made a commitment. and You've shown your faith. You've come down here. Now, why come down here to get distracted? So we're going to close. Just a minute. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to focus on him. But before we do that, I feel like we wanted, we're going to do this as a, as a body. Everybody's going to do this. We're all going to just take a moment. And we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray and ask God, Lord, if there's anything in my life that would keep me from receiving what you have for me today, I'm asking you, Lord, to take that out of my life. If it's sin, God, forgive me for it and remove it. God, if it's, a, if it's offenses, take it out of my life and remove it. I forgive and release. Whatever it might be in my life, God, I release it to you. I'm asking you, Lord, to make my heart and my life clean and pure that I can receive from you. Can you bow your heads just for a moment? We're not going to pray for ourselves yet. We're just praying and asking God this. And pray that prayer just now. Say, Lord, if there's anything in me that would keep you from touching me today, keep me from from feeling your presence, your power, and you ministering to me. I don't want there to be any blockage, Lord. I pray now in Jesus' name that you would remove it all from me. If it's sin, if it's weighted down with, with, with cares of this world, I pray, God, that you would remove it all today. I give it all to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just another moment. Just do that. You don't have to be emotional. You're just... Now here, here's what we're going to do. Just, just a moment. Brothers and sisters that are behind you, we're going to, you're going to help me in a minute. Come down and help us pray. Here's what we're going to do. The Bible says two things. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you've had faith because you've come and you stood here. That's faith. That's faith. We think of faith as some spiritual thing. Faith is you got out of your seat and you stood here. That's faith. That's all the faith you need. You got that checked off. But the Bible says that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. And the Bible says that diligently seek him. So here's what we're going to do. Every person down here, can I tell you this? God already knows what you need. That boy did not have to tell Jesus he needed healing. Jesus already knew that. God already knows what you need. You don't have to sit here all day and tell him, no, God, I got out of this and this. This is terrible. I can't make it. He already knows that. So how about let's do what the Bible says. Let's acknowledge he is. How do I do that? Worship. Praise. So I acknowledge he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What's that mean? That I acknowledge him with my praise and I don't stop in the first 10 seconds because I don't, I don't feel anything because I know if I keep believing, he will do it because he rewards those that seek him diligently. If I do those two things, God will touch me today. Guarantee he will touch me today if I do those two things. If you believe that, would you say amen? Oh, come on. If you believe it, say Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Those of you that are down here, you're just going to lift your hands and close your eyes and get focused on Jesus. And you're going to begin to open up your mouth and begin to worship him. And you're going to begin to worship him. And you're going to begin to call upon him and worship him. You're not asking him for anything. He knows what you need. But as you do that, you begin to call upon him. God's going to begin to minister. Can I get brothers and sisters that would come? Come on, I need help. 
I need help. There's God wants to do something today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Come on. Don't stop in five seconds. Don't stop in ten seconds. Keep praying. Keep seeking. 